Hello and welcome to Impact Quantum, a podcast about quantum computing for developers and engineers. In this episode, Frank and Andy welcome Brian Lenahan to the show. Brian is founder and chair of the Quantum Strategy Institute, a collaboration of quantum experts and enthusiasts from around the globe enabling business to understand the technology, its potential and its practical applications. This episode is entitled Quantum is Here and is rated 1 Schrodinger. Now on with the show. But, first, here's some dubstep. Hello and welcome back to Impact Quantum, a podcast about quantum computing for software developers and data engineers. So basically, our goal here at this show is to make quantum computing more accessible to folks who are already in the technology field and really wonder, why should I care and how do I get into this new field? I personally believe that this is going to uh, explode. And with me, uh, as always, is my ever-present co-host, who apparently we're doing a bit of a quantum experiment now because everyone else in the meeting can see his camera. I can't. So I'm actually recording it now to see what will end up in the final product. But I can hear him. And if you're listening to the podcast, then you won't even notice a thing. How you doing, Andy? <laughs> hey, I'm doing pretty good, Frank. Other than uh, I've got, I think I shouldn't have clicked the go stealth to Frank uh, mode here on Teams. <laughs> so our guest can see us, and we'll we'll get to him soon. I'm excited, by the way, about uh, about the new season, about the new podcast. We have something that we've been hinting at for a year now that is in the process of becoming live. Yes. Um, we're going so fast on releasing these, it may not be live before we're done. But we it have talked not. about the website. We, we, we can talk about the website. The website um, and I'll, I'll have Bailey kind of do a commercial for it in the, the middle because uh, I don't want to. Uh, we have an awesome guest today. Yes. Um, but um, we'll be sure that the quantum listeners to Impact Quantum get a special extra discount. Uh, as, of course, our listeners some data-driven. But our guest today, Andy, I believe you have the bio. I, You know, I have the site up. Um, I am looking at Brian Lenahan's um, LinkedIn site, and I am struggling with, uh, with LinkedIn right now, Mr. Lenahan. But I can tell you this about Mr. Lenahan, and I'm hoping the recording picks this up. He is the author of this exciting book. Both of us have... Uh, copies of right now frank's holding his up i'm holding mine if you can see me uh quantum boost is the name of the book and uh mr lenahan i know is the founder and chair of the quantum strategy institute i'm excited to hear more about that so why don't you take it from there mr lenahan and welcome welcome to the show Gentlemen, thank you so much for having me. And I just, uh, you know, I can't tell you how thrilled I am to see two copies of the book uh, being held up by two such uh, wonderful gentlemen. Um, I have um, been um, so thrilled, so looking forward to uh, spending time on your podcast because, you know, I've seen some of the guests you've had and the work that you're doing at making quantum accessible is very much in line with the mission that we have at the Quantum Strategy Institute, particularly in making it accessible to the consumer side of the community. You know, how do you get, you know, businesses and CEOs and CTOs to start thinking about quantum computing? you know, from a consumption and adoption perspective. It's a complex subject. It's a complex technology. But how do you take it to a point where, you know, people start understanding the benefits that they can incorporate and the roadmap? Absolutely. And that's that's what I love about your book. Your book is very approachable. I could give this, granted, right now I have a technical boss, but, you know, I can go back in time when I didn't. I could hand this to my my my, my not somewhat technical to non-technical uh, manager and yeah, I mean there are parts because you can't avoid some discussion of, of of quantum phenomena, but I mean it's it's definitely approachable by anyone. I think in in kind of the business decision maker line of thinking. You know that was very much my hope because you know uh, my background. 
uh, 20 odd years in financial services with one of the major North American banks. Um, and most of my time spent there, Frank, was with uh, the IT teams as the business lead. So I would be the one who's trying to understand how we can take our business requirements and turn them into you know, some sort of technology that would succeed. And so often, I mean, you guys have been involved in the artificial intelligence world. Too often we had situations where we tried to take a wonderful piece of technology that never actually saw the light of day. And you know, part of that's the people aspect, part of it's the technology, but it was so important to be able to, you know, identify what the opportunities were and make sure that they were actually a business priority. And then secondarily, you know, does with AI in that case and more today, quantum really fit that need? And then how would you have those conversations with the C-suite? How would you actually engage your teams? Do you have the right resources internally? Do you have vendors that you could actually reach out to that you feel are credible? Those are all the kind of questions that, you know, um, more and more um, companies are going to be asking going forward. And so that's why I wrote the book. And that's why uh, I started the Quantum Strategy Institute. Right, right. I was and I inspired um, by some of the, uh, you know, by some of the use cases that you described in the book. Um, there were things that, you know, I, I don't know everything there is to know about quantum by any stretch. But, um, you know, as a data practitioner, um, I, one of my titles at, at something called DILM Suite is data philosopher, which I think sorts well with the beard. <laughs> um, knowing the technology, more about the technology, and also knowing more about the use cases for the technology are, are really huge pieces of this book. And I saw documentation here of things that you've done before with AI and how you're thinking from that perspective and that experience in the background about projecting forward into what quantum could be used for. I found it very inspiring and I, I love that aspect of it. I'll echo what Frank said. I think this is a, a, a easily consumable book for people who are not technical. And, and I encourage people who are interested, you know, in answering the question, what's all the fuss about quantum? You know, that that's a this is a very good resource. Uh, but it's also written, you, you did a really good job and uh, of making it so as a technical person. Yeah. You know, and I, I, I've kind of studied quantum for maybe 18 months now, ever since uh, November 2019. So maybe, wow, two years now. Uh, but it hasn't been my full-time thing. It's been kind of this side thing I pick up every once in a while. Then I would, I would learn and then I'd get stuck on some mental concept and then go you know, something else with some other new shiny, right? Because that's kind of what engineers do, <laughs> chase down the new shiny. Uh, but always kind of coming back to it and seeing that this is really coming. But what I really like about your book is, that, you know, you don't, it, this won't bore a technical audience either. Like it, there's, and I think it also gives ammunition for someone who is a technology enthusiast or a quantum enthusiast um, to really motivate them to maybe pick up that book on, quantum computing, you know, a more kind of rigorous mathematical type thing or install Qiskit or QSharp or, or so, sort of thing. So, I mean, yeah, I've had cases where, you know, when I went to, when I first heard about quantum computing, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's nice. But when I had my first aha moment, like, oh, wait a minute, this is going to be a big deal. You know, I'd come back and everyone on my team thought I was insane like <laughs> you know, i i mean well, they that might was have a few that years ago too frank to that was frank. a few years ago but but even still like when i when i talk to kind of people who you know who, who just heard about quantum computing they're like yeah i mean that's interesting but but what i like yeah. about your book is like you know these are real business problems that are being addressed today uh i don't remember the exact quote but the quote from somebody from citibank is is something to the effect of if you're not Maybe it was not Citibank, but but it was something to the effect of if you're not investing in quantum today, you're going to be left behind. Um, do you want to dive in on that? Because absolutely, uh, my short term you know, failed me. Yeah, and in two ways, I guess. You know um, what Andy talked about in terms of applications and use cases. In my consulting practice, I work with companies, and most of the companies I work with are deep AI companies. You know, so they already have that in-house expertise. They understand machine learning. They understand those algorithms. And so when we start talking about, you know, QML, they're not so, it's not so challenging. But at the very beginning, they're saying, Brian, is this 
10 years away? Is this 20 years away? And so what I have to really identify is here's some in-market applications, you know, whether that's a quantum random number generator chip that's in a Samsung phone or it's the uh, quantum applications that are being used on the factory floor at Volkswagen. You know, those are in-market applications that are being used today. And then we start talking a little bit more about near-term applications, you know, when we start to see improvements in modalities and photonics and, you know, um, nitrogen vacancy diamonds and, you know, all these sorts of things or, or uh, psi quantum and it's, you know, great forecasts for the next coming years. So, you know, we start talking about some of those and then we start talking about some of the longer term application or the longer term implications of a fault, universal fault tolerant computer. So my, my conversations with them is, you know, you're evolving and you need to evolve along with quantum. So there are some applications that you can absolutely go in and apply today. And, you know, the second question they honestly asked me, Frank, is, so do I have to get rid of all of my existing classical conventional infrastructure? And the answer obviously is no. There's lots of good hybrid applications, but there are also lots of situations where you can do your, your comparisons with your traditional classical computing as a benchmark and, you know, then, you know, compare that to some of the things you're doing and maybe in a pilot in the quantum space. So uh, when I talk to these companies, if I start with the universal fault tolerant computer or if I start with, you know, entanglement and superposition, you know, the conversation goes nowhere. This is very much about the challenges that I need to solve today. One of the yeah. things I found fascinating, as you mentioned, uh, conventional computing, what we now call conventional computing, is uh, how much this, um, I guess, evolution of quantum has been entangled. I'm using quantum words to kind of work <laughs> that stuff in. Been entangled with, um, you know, forecasting and modeling that's done on conventional computers. That's one aspect of it. And this other aspect is, you know, when we started thinking about quantum and the, some of the challenges that quantum can solve very quickly compared to conventional computing, we realized that the more we thought about how we would solve that with quantum, that we could solve it better and faster on conventional computing. Exactly right. Yeah, that blew my mind when I heard that. Like, you know, what do we call that? Quantum that? inspired sometimes, yes, or yes, you know, whatever. quantum inspired computing. Yeah, I like it. Now, do you see that having more of a near-term kind of impact on industry? Absolutely, because, you know, this sort of reverse engineering or quantum-inspired, you know, opportunities for people who already understand machine learning, you know, there are, it's it's always that sort of new way of thinking. And if I'm the CTO of an organization and I've got, you know, huge number of projects underway and I'm really trying to determine, you know, where do I spend my budgets and do my thinking about quantum and it's years away and so on. This gives them another opportunity over and above hybrid and piloting. You know, you take those three things as a CTO, you can start to say, hmm, okay, we're starting to see some benefit from things like quantum inspired. That's amazing. I mean, it's just, I, you know, I, I also like the way you kind of broke down. There's, it's not just like classical computing or conventional computing where there's pretty much just one approach now, right? Like, you know, one or one or two architectures, right? Maybe half yep. a dozen operating systems in wide use. Don't send me hate mail that you know they're <laughs> but but I mean like um that at the fundamental level, all computers, you know, since the uh riser transistors have more worked more or less the same. What fascinates me is we're not at that point with quantum, and I'm not sure we ever will be, you know. Well, you know, certainly I think one will end up being dominant, and I think it's anyone's game at this point. Um, so, so you mentioned them, you know, um, some folks that are familiar with them, what, what are the, what are the ones that are kind of top of mind for industries or does it really depend on what the use case is? Well, and the question then becomes, is it really relevant? And here's where right. I'll say why is because that there are seven or eight different mo real important modalities today in quantum. And so, um, you know, initially customers and clients used to say, well, should I just wait to see them converge? You know, and then see a traditional sort of um, uh, standard or, you know, you know, I guess standard is the best possible word. But now what we're seeing is uh, vendors in the quantum stack who are actually uh, telling their clients it doesn't matter what platform is being used. We are providing you with the algorithms 
and uh, the pl underlying platforms, it can be on any one of those. So you're starting to see companies like Classic um, from Israel starting to deliver opportunities so that are, it makes it a bit more agnostic for the end user as to what modality is in the background. It's a very fascinating um, um, sort of evolution of quantum. Um, it'll be interesting to see, Frank, to see where it's going to go. Uh, but if you're an end user, are you really thinking about the integrated circuits that are sitting in your laptop? You're probably right. not, right? So as an end user, are you thinking about whether it's a superconducting or annealing computer that's running your algorithms? Yes, you'll see a difference in terms of speed and maybe accuracy and those kind of things. Um, but maybe if you're working with an intermediary who is, you know, offering you that sort of algorithm service and capability, you're not so concerned about which platform it's running on. In fact, it could be all of them. Interesting. So, so that brings up an interesting question. Who are the end users in this scenario? I mean, uh, are they business users? Are they developers? Are they some kind of hybrid data scientists or you ask a great question and it's not unlike it today so for example if you think about jp morgan chase you know one of the largest financial institutions in the world they're very interested in portfolio optimization and trade optimization and that can be nanoseconds and so the ability for quantum computers to do that sort of real-time assessment and take in much larger amounts of data absolutely a very attractive use case for the quantum computer but you know, when you think about some of the clients that I'm working with, you know, they have, um, they're not JP Morgan Chase. They have a much smaller client base, but they have a very specific pillar that they're trying to improve upon. What they're doing, for example, let's say it's um, marketing recommendations. So you want to be able to increase your share of wallet and you want to get a better uh, view of your overall customer. So we call it personalization, um, unique customer recommendations. But in order to do that, you need to be able to look at vast amounts of data in a very short period of time and work that into your algorithm. So you're talking about you know, marketing um, examples. Well, you know, we haven't even started talking about, you know, how uh, molecular analyzation is going to occur um, and some of the groups that are actually doing that in the medical space. So, you know, it's very interesting with the use cases. And, um, I, you know, I think it's for you guys, you're going to see so many more of your podcast um, speakers talk about these kind of use cases in the future. Um, but I always want to bring it back to what's available in market today so that, we don't experience what you guys have seen before, which around the AI winters, that we're really talking about things that are applicable and useful today as well as going forward. That, that is so fascinating. And you brought up the molecular modeling and uh, that aspect just fascinated me. Um, I don't know why, but it was, I, I was very drawn to digging up some more information. I got some more information online, just reading uh, articles about it. It's amazing. Great. New articles are popping up daily. daily, and one of the um, one of the things that I saw about that was the one of the properties, I guess, of quantum computing is that uh, classical computing it does a fantastic job at testing each possibility in a very linear way. And one big difference, quantum, but in fact, one that gives us the quantum boost yep. is the ability to test several or maybe even all of the permutations at once in parallel yep yeah yeah that's just that's fascinating and being it, so, able to model cycles that sound really simple you think we put a person on the moon 50 plus years ago we should know how these molecular interactions take place yeah. but they're happening at such a speed and such a scale that we don't and yeah. if we get that modeled then where can we go from there how can we adopt and, and adapt medicines and even medical science. To I'm, the I'm just thinking. Those, I'm just yeah, thinking about material just, science, like you yeah, know, yeah. Um, in terms of you know the commercialization of space. You know, one of the things I read in I think it was uh, the uh, semi-authorized uh, biography of Elon Musk is that one of the problems that they're facing is that rockets are hard to build because we're really pushing our material science to the edge. Mm -hmm. And I just think you know what what could be done with just you know, space exploration or, um, with better material science and modeling. And, and like Andy, I was surprised too to learn that, you know, I first heard about this. It was on another podcast uh, called .NET Rocks, which 
uh, most they they rarely get into kind of quantum stuff, but a couple of times they did. And the first time I listened to it, I was like, well, that's interesting. And they were talking about kind of, you know, the, those P equal NP is still unknown. And they kind of use this example of the lithium ion when you, when you ingest it, they really not sure how it interacts with nerve cells, which is just mm-hmm. fascinating. Like, I don't know how long they've been prescribing it, but my God, you know, we don't know how it works. <laughs> well, who, you know, so you're, you've got some great examples. Who would have expected that stainless steel would outperform carbon fiber, you know, right. in the latest generation of SpaceX rockets? Um, you know, I go back to your other example, Andy, around, um, you know, pharma. Uh, the traditional period from concept to shelf was about 12 years. And when we started introducing artificial intelligence to do those, um, you know, uh, sort of molecular analysis, you know, they could reduce that down by probably three years. Well, once they actually are able to run many parallel uh, assessments through quantum computers, that time frame could also shrink as well with greater level of predictable accuracy. Yeah. yeah so, very so, exciting time too, to be, to be talking about this. I, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the points that you make in the book is uh, like you mentioned the quote from the, uh, from the banking institution that you're behind already. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you're not, <laughs> if you're not engaged in this or at least not thinking about it. And you spoke to, how some of these large corporations um, now have it budgeted, have a line item budgeted for quantum research or, or research about algorithms that could perform better on quantum. And you compared that to the past. Would you like to share that with our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So you you think about the evolution again, I'll go back to artificial intelligence where, you know, five, six years ago, most people were asking the question, what is AI? And then a couple of years later, they were asking, well, what can I use AI for? Well, we're at that point of the evolution where people are still asking, what is quantum? And so there is a long trajectory ahead for most companies. But the challenges are that those companies who are making the investment today, and that investment doesn't necessarily be to be a monetary investment. That, that investment could be an understanding of what quantum is, you know, starting to gain some internal resources, create some partner relationships that they give credibility to. You know, it, it could be a coffee conversation. I mean, I have them regularly with vendors uh, and people in the consumer side just to understand what's happening in the environment. And so, you know, the uh, tr- the uh, from a, a patent perspective, quantum computing, quantum technologies represents one of the top 10 fastest growing patent um, technologies in the United States as of today. Oh, wow. So um, if you look at uh, the, uh, the focus of researchers and vendors in creating patents, it's one of the top 10 in the U.S. today. So you think about all the available technologies, biomedical, AI, you know, um, otherwise. So is this a – so here's where the, the, the challenge then becomes where all of this money is being invested in quantum computing. But can it be absorbed by companies, you know, by organizations who can leverage it? Or is is there a challenge around that quantum winter? You know, I wonder, you know, in my organization, we talk about things like, you know, uh, sustaining a quantum summer. You know, how can we, you know, put some realistic expectations, realistic plans, realistic timeframes into the adoption of quantum? Yeah, that whole realistic uh, thing and not being kind of swept up in the hype, it's very easy to do. But there mm-hmm. was a um, – uh, I'm not sure how much I can share, but basically there was an internal kind of talk that the Microsoft researchers – back when I worked at Microsoft um, some, you know, sometime in April – where they're like, you got to be careful about overpromising on this. <laughs> yep. And he had yeah. this whole explanation of why, and uh, you know, and 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 now I understand, like, the, you know, it's there, but it's not the it's not what you would expect, right? It's not that that kind of Star Trek experience just yet. Yep. Well, it's stick. You you may have heard of Amaro's law, or you know, sometimes referred to as Gates' law, where we, you know, overestimate the ability yes. of these, you know, right in the short term, and underestimate them in the long term. 
And yeah. so, you know, it's it's very important that you know, the quantum ecosystem isn't out there overpromising that they're really doing a good job delivering on in-market capabilities. You know, I look at a company like ID Quantique um, based in Switzerland. They're the generate. They're the ones who created the QRNG chip for the Samsung phone. They're actually um, they've already got in-market um, quantum communication that's um, uh, QKD secured, quantum key distribution secured. It's already in place. Um, and so there are examples today um, without sort of overpromising, if you will, but all sorts of other companies that have huge investments that n- they need to start producing those capabilities to meet their investors' expectations, um, right? So all of those dynamics are at play, Frank, in terms of where the ecosystem is going. It's fascinating. It's just uh, it's it's such a, a and like you've said over and over, it's a, such a cool time to be thinking about this and the technologies. And I think we don't know. I think if we revisit this topic in a year mm-hmm. that we'll look back and go, gosh, we thought that. But look, it took this corner and did this other really cool thing that we hadn't even expected. And I think a lot of people um, and I'll put myself in this category as well, didn't realize that the that quantum was in commercial products at this time. Mm-hmm. And here you're telling me it's in a Samsung phone. Yep. That's absolutely I didn't know true. that either. Yep. Absolutely yeah, true. Uh, the latest Samsung phone has a quantum random nub generator chip. So, you know, enhanced level security. And if you talk to certain, you know, people about quantum cryptography or post quantum cryptography, you know, that question of pure randomness will come into play all the time. So if you look at the way conventional computers create randomness, it's not pure. You know, there are ways to break those things. And if you fast forward, you know, the question often comes to me, you know, is cryptography the killer quantum app? You know, when we look forward four or five years, is it really a question of all quantum computers will be able to break traditional uh, traditional computing? That remains to be seen. But at the very same time, it behooves every company to think about their internal security, to think about their customer data, right? Or think about their patient data and make sure that they are looking at how quantum is changing cryptography. Yeah, you mentioned patient data. I can imagine that, you know, let's pretend that, you know, somebody tomorrow invents something capable of breaking kind of conventional cryptography, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if it's healthcare data and it gets breached or, you know, people make the assumption, oh, it's encrypted, it's safe. What, you know, I, I can't, I can only imagine that the legislation has certainly not kept up with this and it'll probably like everything else kind of lag behind too. Am I, am I justified in that pessimism? <laughs> Well, we believe in we believe in this so much. We've actually put a pillar in at the Quantum Strategy Institute just around risk. And it's kind of got a twofold approach to that, Frank. It's not only the cryptography security um, uh, uh, ecosystem that we're interested in, but it's also how you conduct risk assessments. So if you're internally, individually in a, in, a, in a company, you're looking at so many different types of risk, whether it's financial risk or geopolitical risk or, um, you know, internal compliance risk. You know, there are so many different ways to look at risk assessment. Um, and when and, and for each individual company, they've got to think about how do I inclu- incorporate quantum computing to improve my overall level of risk? And so it'll be fascinating, and we're going to be writing about that, but it'll be fascinating to see how companies start to incorporate it. So one of the things that was interesting um, in the development of artificial intelligence is something called RegTech. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that, so regulatory technology. And so the idea is, and I used to work in financial services, so there were so many different individual regulations that impacted a given financial institution that it was very difficult to keep up and very difficult to update your own internal processes to make sure they were in compliance. Because once you went through uh, an exercise, you know, by the time you finished, the regulations had changed and you now needed to update your systems. And so um, AI really began to help with that by doing automatic analysis with red flags and so on. So, you know, if you're looking at a large inter- um, 
a multinational corporation with multiple regulation environments, you really need that sort of additional computing help um, to look at your overall risk. Interesting. Interesting. And I, 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 I like the idea of, you know, approaching this from a risk standpoint, because it, you know, that it, whether or not you as your company believe that quantum computing can help your business, I think it can certainly hurt your business. <laughs> uh, if that's the only driving factor, that's a good reason. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the, um, by automation uh, of all sorts. And even now, what you're speaking of with AI, uh, these algorithms that do analysis of the language of regulations and then raise these red flags. And then, you know, we have an informed search after that. We're not looking for mm -hmm. the needle in the haystack. We're looking for the needle in maybe the cup or quart of hand. <laughs> yep. You know, it's like, just check these boxes, at least check it. Every now and then you're going to hit something that's crazy. It could cost you a fine. Or, or some compliance issue. And I, I guess my question then is, do those same AI algorithms, well, do we believe those same AI algorithms we're running on traditional computing today will transfer to quantum? See, this is one of the benefits of how AI machine learning and quantum machine learning will actually work together. You know, if you look at your own team and you say, could I actually retrain my team to do quantum machine learning? Yeah, absolutely, that's possible. There's a great deal to understand in terms of quantum gates and quantum physics and quantum mechanics so that you really truly understand what's happening inside that quantum computer when you're looking at accuracy levels and efficiency levels and, you know, uh, power usage and all those sorts of things. Um, so it's absolutely possible uh, to translate, but it's difficult to translate. And so, uh, and the other challenge is having the resources. So we're only beginning to teach enough people to do the kind of work that's that's needed. IBM's doing a great job in terms of its QuizKit education worldwide. Uh, you know, more and more universities are starting to create quantum uh, courses. You know, the University of Waterloo and its Institute of Quantum Computing, for example, in Canada. Um, you know, so there are more and more organizations that are actually starting down that path for training. Um, but by no means is it simple, but it's certainly possible. Okay. That... That's really good to know. And and you spoke to, um, you know, to to the uh, level of training that that's required and the understanding. And I think it's important. Uh, one of the things you said there is important. Is it possible to make that transition? That the answer to that is yes. Mm -hmm. But I would say yes with an asterisk. Uh, it definitely does require uh, some training. It's not we hear machine learning and we just think, you know, AI driven machine learning and quantum-driven machine learning, and we just think, well, machine learning is machine learning. It sounds yeah. like you're saying that's not the case. Any other point that you brought up that I, I don't want to, I don't want to lose is um, it's it's kind of a hot topic. I think just my uh, very uh, limited view here of watching papers is this whole idea of noise reduction and accuracy, improving accuracy and repeatability. Yeah. Yep. So let me let me sort of take those two. Um, you know, we have um, um, organizations that are starting to institute quantum training within their own organizations. One I work with very closely um, and their findings are that let's say you've got a 12 week program. They're finding that the big challenge is up front when we're trying to teach people about quantum computing. But once they start getting the concept and then they start translating that into machine learning, that's when it starts to ramp up quite quickly. But you need to go through that process. Um, and then, Andy, remind me what your second point was. So it was about the focus that I, I seem to see around noise reduction, accuracy improvement, and, and repeatability. Yeah, and so this is this is this is a big topic, um, but you know if you hearken back to when we've had the first um, um, microprocessors and transistors, and you know we think about how it wasn't the perfect transistor back in 1992, you know 
they consistently improved over time. And that's what we're starting. That's what we're seeing with the quantum computer. You know, whether it's the number of qubits or the number of control qubits or the, you know, efficacy or accuracy that goes along with them, we're seeing constant sort of improvement. So that's a good thing. And we shouldn't expect perfection um, right. right out of the gate. Right. Um, and then what organizations really need to do is understand what those noise levels are or error levels are and then try and then do that benchmarking against their classical to determine you know where where they're getting the biggest bang for their buck um and you know whether they really are looking at maybe different modalities of quantum computing with different noise levels and deciding which one works for this works best for them you know, um, one of the things I talk about in the book, uh, and certainly one of the reasons for the Quantum Strategy Institute, is this role of this quantum strategist. You know, somebody who understands not only the, the technology, but the marketplace, you know, who which vendors are out there, which modalities are out there. So maybe that's your CTO, or maybe it's a more specific role. Um, but being able to talk about the kind of things that I'm talking about here today and give the organization some semblance of, you know, the business speak. Yeah. No, that's a that's a great point. I think that there's there's definitely a huge opportunity for someone to be that quantum strategist for an organization because I think the need is there. And I think there's also kind of this, you know, one of the things that came out this week was the um uh chairman and CEO of IBM basically said that this decade quantum computing will take off like a rocket ship. And I think that there's going to be a lot of picking apart that by the, the various yep. uh, uh, technology press and kind of what does that mean? But I also think that because it's such a new field and things are so radical, I think that <laughs> there is no map because it's so new. I mean, no, it's a, it's a great it's a great point. And, you know, you harken back to when you started with um, with quantum back in November 2019, mm -hmm. we were just talking about Google supremacy. Right. Right. And how. Uh, they talk about it, they put it in the media, but it was in a very narrow lane with a very specific application. Um, but at the same time, you look at it with glasses half full or glasses half empty, you know, IBM came back and said, yes, but, and then, but on the flip side, you'd say, well, we couldn't do that before. Right. Right. right? So, you know, this, this evolution of quantum, whether you give it a title or not, as a business person, I'm looking for what can quantum computing do for me? You know, and, you know, then we start talking about the semantics. That's a good point. You brought up an interesting point that, that, that you had a train, that there's a train, one of the organizations you work with has a mm -hmm. training program for their, for their people. Internal them, employees. Internal employees. What does that look like? I mean, obviously I don't want to know who they are, you know, who, who it is, but. Uh, what, what does the training program look like? I mean, is it is it a uh, a tree tie a tree days on um, you know oh, no. linear algebra? <laughs> uh, no, so this this is like a twelve week program where oh, the organization wow. is a large organization devoting um, massive amounts of time. Most of these people are engineers um, or data scientists. Um, they also have an executive program, which are, which is again, very different. Um, you know, with the data scientists and engineers, they really want to get into the nuts and bolts of what a quantum computer is. What can it technically do? Are you really sure, you know, and how do I really understand the questions, uh, the, the theory of entanglement and superposition when I can't actually see it? Um, mm -hmm. you know, and so you, you know, you're going through that exercise, whereas, you know, with the executives, you're asking me to think about a technology that is not mature, you know, that has not demonstrated itself widely. There's no standards. Um, and yet you're asking me to invest in it. And it's a very interesting dynamic. Um, and, you know, the leading companies are really doing what you've asked about and what we've talked about, which is really looking at what are the in-market you know, applications, can we get resources? You know, can we try a pilot just to see if it works out? Can we benchmark against the classical computer? Can we do a hybrid solution? So the leading companies are really looking at those pieces. Um, and um, there are, I would say there are very few companies at this point in time doing what you talked about, Frank, which is that internal employee uh, training program. Interesting. 
So for folks that are listening and, you know, they're already, the, you know, most of our audience are engineers, right? So um, what what can the average engineer, uh, software or data engineer or data scientist, wh where would you recommend? First off, I'm going to recommend they get your book, Quantum Boost. It's an awesome read. Um, and if you're, <laughs> you. if you're, if you're somehow listening to this and you're still available on Amazon, it is available on Amazon. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, we'll make sure Bailey, uh, makes note of the, of the link and things like that. But, but I mean, the, 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 you know, if you're listening to here and you're, you're a quantum believer, right? I would recommend you get a copy, not just for yourself, but also kind of like, you know, steer your quantum skeptic friends into it. Because I think one of the things you, you, you bring out in the book is like, no, this is already happening now. This isn't like a, I mean, obviously there's going to be big changes in you know, sure. five, 10 years in this space, but I mean, this is happening now. I mean, uh, and it changes daily in terms of what's happening. But well, what, so, so yeah, what sort of resources are we talking about? Yeah. What, what would we, you know, what if somebody's listening to this and they say, well, I want to learn more about this aside from hitting a search engine, like what, what yeah. sorts of things should they look at and study? So I can tell you my trajectory over the last number of years. Um, you know, one of the things was I was simply, I would call it, you know, um, uh, AI strategy focused, but quantum curious. And so, you know, I started looking at uh, YouTube channels and YouTube videos and, you know, getting a sort of very uh, upfront theoretical understanding of quantum. Um, so th from three years ago to today, they have blossomed in terms of available videos. So for free, you're learning, you know, what you need to do, uh, need to early on understand. And, you know, they even have quantum for kids. I mean, there are so many different ways to teach the, 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 the properties of atoms and electrons and photons uh, in a way that people can understand. The second thing I did was look to some of the more leading organizations. So I happened to choose uh, CERN in Switzerland. Um, so I attended a six-week program. Um, uh, the um, uh, It was uh, a very intense, um, very uh, algorithm and um, mathematical-driven. Um, but I forced myself to sort of get through it because I could see how the application occurred from, you know, the quantum physics through the math into the algorithms into the actual computer. And it made sense to me that way. Um, and then uh, TU Delft, which is in Amsterdam, uh, has another great program, um, series of videos. Um, uh, it's on one of the platforms, one of the learning platforms. Uh, this happens. EdX. EdX yeah. um, and so, you know, it was kind of progressive for me, Frank, but in a very short period of time, I just sort of, you know, grabbed as much as I could learn. Um, but uh, there are plenty of resources out there for somebody who, um, you know, for myself, I was not an engineer, you know, I was a, a very much a, um, a business first person. Um, but, you know, curious enough to understand it. So all you need is curiosity and an internet connection. It sounds like <laughs> I, I absolutely right. <laughs> Very awesome. cool. Well, we come to the part in our show where we ask some questions. Uh, if, uh, if Frank's automation did its job, this was included in the invitation and uh, his automation is getting better and better, by the way. That's why we're able to crank out so many different uh, kind of streams of content here. Or streams of consciousness, have, um, I guess, as it goes. Uh, one of the two. <laughs> <laughs> but our very first one um, that we talk about with data professionals, uh, we'll, we'll adapt. How did you find your way into quantum? And did you find quantum or did quantum find you? Yes. What's your quantum origin story? Uh, that's excellent. You know, um, from um, the very beginning, I had been consulting with various companies on helping them create a roadmap for their AI strategy. So, you know, this goes back quite a number of years where, let's say five years where organizations were struggling again to understand what AI was, let alone what it could do for them. And so when we started having those conversations and creating the roadmaps, they started to realize that the technology very could very quickly focus on their priorities. But some of the challenges I started coming into was with the companies who had incredible amounts of data and didn't know how to do anything with it. And we're starting to think, well, this is going to take, you know, on a traditional computer thousands of years to actually uh, 
calculate or assess. Um, and so um, when I started seeing on uh, LinkedIn more and more conferences around quantum computing and, you know, some of the capabilities that it had, I started to attend. And it really started to demonstrate to me that, you know, some of the large companies, the JP Morgans, the Boeings, the uh, VWs were attending these sessions as well. And so um, I, my network started to expand to individuals who were in this space and were leading on the thought, uh, the thought leadership around quantum. Um, but inevitably, what I kept seeing, um, Andy, was the, the question of people attending these conferences on the consumer side, like truly looking to buy quantum capabilities. And, you know, it was by, by, by far the people who were doing the vending versus the people who were doing the buying. Um, so it was an interesting dynamic for me. So really it started out as a real world requirement from my uh, consulting clients. Interesting. So, um, what would you say uh what would you say the 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 next kind of six months in quantum looks like um so i think everything in quantum is going to be accelerated mm -hmm. um and so i know what we're trying to do in the next six months which is to you know make uh the adoption of quantum computing on a global basis more accessible to all companies. And so how do we do that? We do that by informing you, helping you, you know, with steps to your implementation, with steps to um, finding your a broader network, um, uh, you know, uh, those things for the Quantum Strategy Institute are our sort of next six months. Again, Quantum Strategy Institute is not a community. It's not a meetup group. Um, it's very much a think tank. Um, you know, experts that I've brought together who are really trying to, you know, increase the quantum adoption. In terms of the technology, what I think is going to be pressed on is just what you've talked about, which is show me the use cases, show me the applications and, you know, uh, demonstrate the proofs that they're working. And I think that's going to be very much uh, pressed upon uh, not just people in uh, doing research or in the lab, uh, but people with uh, existing products. So when you think about uh, a CEO or a CTO who's trying to digest all of these articles and trying to you know, assess what's true and what's not true, what's hype and what's not hype, that can be a real difficult challenge. But they need to start thinking about bringing in resources who can do that assessment, do an objective view, and really, really ramp up on you know, how, those, how a quantum uh, technology would align with their business priorities. That's fascinating. Um, I, you mentioned kind of in passing, are you writing another book? Uh, so I've written five books in two years. Uh, wow. So I'm, I'm taking a bit of a hiatus, Frank. Okay. <laughs> uh, all, 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 all of my uh, all of my efforts are being uh, devoted to the establishment of the Quantum Strategy Institute and uh, uh, my consulting work. That's Andy level of writing right there. I think um, <laughs> Andy's written a number of books in the last couple of years. But um, well I, done. I, Did you enjoy the experience? I, I love to write. So, you know, that's, that's, it's very cathartic for me. And I just, I enjoy it, which it surprised me when I started writing that I liked it so much. So, yeah. And I've had way more time, uh, 15 years. And I have, um, I've actually averaged a book per year. Wow. But, um, but I've done just what you do. I took three years off. 2017, I did three. And, you know how that is that's that's writing like you're writing and that was way intense i didn't write anything else until 2020 or publish anything else yep and that's great it just it it's a lot of fun but um i look yeah i look forward to i i caught what frank uh, picked up as well and i thought he's writing some more that'll be cool but i know how this evolves i've got scraps of documents from eight years ago that haven't made their way into a book yet. They hope, hopefully they will, <laughs> you know, but it's anywhere from two pages uh, in, a, in a, a word editor or something to maybe 20 or 30 pages 
and then blog yeah. posts here and there that pieces and parts of them will make it. Yeah, but Frank, you, I, I just yeah. I think you're a good writer. I'll just end with that. I, I'll I like I'll double shot. down on that. It's well, it's very approachable from technical and 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 business type people. That bridging those two worlds is hard. Well, that's very kind of you, Frank. But to your point, you know, whenever I go to write a book, I I need to firmly believe that there's a business problem to solve. And with Quantum Boost, that came very clear to me. So, you know, who knows, Andy, maybe there's another book in the future, but it's got to be a really significant business problem to address. I like Actually, it. Just what I've read through here. Again, I haven't finished. I'm about two thirds of the way through Quantum Boost. And I think you I think you almost uh, abstracted out one layer and you proposed a lot of business problems that Quantum can solve or at least impact. And that's why I really love this. Uh, I love this book. I, I like that I can approach my clients. I do data engineering uh, now, and you inspired some thought, um, you know, thoughts in my mind for how we could apply quantum technology to solving some of those types of problems. Now, yeah. being an engineer, I got to do it first before yeah. I can go recommend it. So that's yeah. why I was I was really interested in your answer to Frank's questions about how we can learn more. And, you know, there's, it's, it's interesting. And you mentioned this in the book, there's a limited number of quantum computers on the planet right now. Of course it's yep. growing, Yep. but it's a small set compared to conventional computers. It's orders of magnitude, you know, less. Yep. That's right. That's exactly right. But, you know, I'm really excited for the role of the quantum engineer in the future. And, you know, it, it's relatively a new role, but somebody who has to balance what they're, you know, to your point, what you're physically looking at, what you're physically doing in a practical sense with a good deal of theoretical knowledge, you know, and things that you right. can't see. Um, so, you know, it, it'll be a very special person who who takes that role of quantum engineer. Awesome. The book, once again, is Quantum Boost. Um, all right, we can talk to you for another hour. We'll definitely would love to have you back on the show. Um, but I uh, want to be respectful of your time. Uh, but there's definitely, definitely read this. Uh, it's available as a Kindle book. So if you want, if you're curious about quantum computing, I highly recommend it. It's a good, it's, it's not going to melt your brain like, uh, some other quantum books will, <laughs> and you could even give it to your boss. Um, and you can get it to him, uh, him or her on a, on a Kindle device, um, just in case you're still quarantined. And um, if you want to get into this space more, I think this is a this is a good kind of toe in the water. And it definitely answers a lot of questions like why quantum, when quantum and should I care? I think that's really right now. I think um, there's kind of the, the true quantum believers and there's a lot of people that are like, why should I care? What is it and why should I care? I think I should have had you write the forward, Frank. Awesome. Well, maybe <laughs> then the next edition. <laughs> and where Very can folks cool. find more about you, Brian? Uh, they, can, yeah, they can check out my LinkedIn profile, Brian Lenahan Innovation on LinkedIn, um, or through the quantumstrategyinstitute.com. Awesome. Thank you very much. And we'll let the nice British uh, AI lady end the show. Thanks for listening to Impact Quantum. We know you're busy and we appreciate you listening to our podcast. But we have a favor to ask. Please rate and review our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you subscribe to us. Of course, you have subscribed to us, haven't you? Having high ratings and reviews helps us improve the quality of our show and rank us more favorably with the search algorithms. That means more people listen to us, spreading the joy. And, can't the world use a little more joy these days? So, go do your part to make the world just a little better and be sure to rate and review the show.